Thank you, Jesus, that you meet with us this morning. I, I'm, I just want to praise you before anything else. Praise you. For you are God. You're the creator of the universe. God, I trust you have some wonderful thing to speak into each person's life today. Lord, give us ears to hear and hearts to understand. God, give me ears to hear and a heart to understand. Um, God, we just, we, we thank you that you've given us your word, the Bible. I pray you would speak from that Bible today into the lives of each one of us here today. Bless our time in Jesus' name, amen. Well, good to see everybody here this morning. Uh, as Rich mentioned before, my name is Greg. I am one of the pastors here at the Firehouse Church. And uh, we are starting a new series. Um, now, this is going to be a slightly different series. A lot of times we do a, a teaching series at the church, and it is uh, a sequence of, of uh, a topic or a sequence through a passage. But this one, as you can see from the screen, is called, What Have You Been Reading? Now, you might remember a few weeks ago, as Rich was sharing with us, that's one question that he gets asked, I think by his father-in-law sort of told him about this. But it's a good question we can ask ourselves, among other questions, as we sort of check our spiritual temperature, is, What Have You Been Reading? Maybe we can ask each other that question. What have you been reading? And no, we're not talking about novels and newspapers and the internet. We're talking about the Bible, right? What have you been reading in the Bible? Uh, some of you may remember a, a couple series ago, we talked about habits of discipleship. And one of those habits was reading the Word. And so in this series, we thought, as uh, pastors, we thought we should use this just as a chance to share with you something God is teaching each of us through his word on a daily basis as we read it. Um, right? And so, just to give you a little explanation, because some of you may be going, I'm going to read the Bible regularly? What? That's kind of a weird, how's that work? Or what do you do? Or So I brought along my little notebook. I have a notebook, and I just sit down with God in the morning, and I read, I like to read through sort of the one-year reading plan. If you would like one of those Bibles, we have one-year one -year Bibles at the info table, and you could have one. If you're going to sit down and read it on a daily basis, it gives you a chunk of reading every day. And so I try to go through that. And then I take notes. You can see I write very small. So my, uh, my notes don't take up a lot of space. It takes me a long time to go through a notebook like this. But I'm showing this um, to you because I want everyone to know that you can do this. Everyone can read the Bible. Everybody can take a few minutes each day and do that. You can wake up a few minutes earlier. Um, it's a choice. It's not complex, but it is a choice, and it's a choice I would encourage everyone to make. And so, as you're doing this, you too get to hear from God. Hearing from God is just not just something that I get to do because I get to stand in front of you ever so often, or Rich gets to do because he stands in front of you ever so often. All of us get to hear from God, and he's given us the word. And the only way we're going to hear through that is if we read it. So that's my encouragement to you, and so we're going to go through this series, and each of us is going to share what we've been reading and so I'm going to share with you today from Psalm 146. Did I get it? Perfect. Here's Psalm 146 on the screen, and we'll read it together. It's only 10 verses. You'll find that it's going to take us a while to get through 10 verses, so hang on and we'll just read it. It goes like this. It says, Praise the Lord. Let all that I am praise the Lord. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God with my dying breath. Don't put your confidence in powerful people. There is no help for you there. 
when they breathe their last, they return to the earth. And all their plans die with them. But joyful are those who have the God of Israel as their helper, whose hope is in the Lord their God. He made heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them. He keeps every promise forever. He gives justice to the oppressed and food to the hungry. The Lord frees the prisoners. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are weighed down. The Lord loves the godly. The Lord protects the foreigners among us. He cares for the orphans and widows, but he frustrates the plans of the wicked. The Lord will reign forever. He will be your God, O Jerusalem, throughout the generations. Praise the Lord. So that's Psalm 146, right there in its entirety. Now, some of you may have heard this before. You may not have. This is not the most popular psalm. It's also not the most obscure psalm. But I think God is speaking to each of us through this psalm, right here, right now. So let's analyze this and and see what God maybe has for us. First, when I read this, I notice how it starts. And I think it's a model for how we should start. When we read the Bible, right here in this psalm, what's the first phrase? Praise the Lord. When you start reading the Bible, I encourage you to start and say, praise you, God. This is translated in other ways, other places as hallelujah. Just like we sang this morning, when we were singing hallelujah, hallelujah. I love that song. Thank you, Jeremy, for picking that one out. We didn't even coordinate that. I love that. It just means... Praise the Lord. I praise you, Lord. So we should start with that each time we're reading, each time we come before God. Now what about when we end? What's the last phrase of this? Praise the Lord also. So we should finish each time we come before God and experience him and say, I praise you, God. Hallelujah. You are God. Now, what is the heart? What is the heart of this psalm? Now, hopefully you've gotten a handout here if you'd like to follow along and take notes. Sometimes that helps you pay a little better attention. I know it can do that for me or just gives you some sheet to doodle on here while I'm talking. That's fine as well. But what is the heart? What is the heart of this psalm? I think it's right there in verse 5. It says, But joyful are those who have the God of Israel as their helper, whose hope is in the Lord, their God. Well, what does it mean to make God our helper? funny when I think of the word helper I think about my kids right? I have five kids ages 11 on down to two um, and sometimes they get to be daddy's helper right well what does that mean well it means different things for each one of them right the older ones the 11 year old and the nine year old there's they can do a lot more complex things I can give them complex tasks and kind of let them do it then I just have to check on it versus the two-year-old right two-year-old when he's helping it's like he can get himself dressed which usually means his shirt and his pants are on backwards, but at least he got the clothes on, right? That's what his, he's trying to be my helper, right? They're my helper. God is not like that. That is not the kind of helper God is. Because God is all-powerful, right? And God is not seen. My kids are seen, but God is unseen. Who is visible, And he makes his presence known to us, but he's not seen like somebody sitting next to me, like my kids who come up to me each day. And so in this, we see in this verse that we're putting our trust, we're putting our hope in him, even though he's unseen. We're putting our hope in him to help us. 
Now you might say, well wait, isn't that blind? Isn't that a blind faith? Do you guys ever hear that? People say, well it's blind faith, blind faith. No, I don't think so. Even though God is unseen, he's given us evidence. And he's given us the Bible, the very thing we're talking about in this series that we want to be spending time reading. And truly, we all live, right? I'm always bothered by that idea of, of blind faith. We all live with faith. Every time you drive down the road, you have faith that you're going to go through that green light and somebody is not going to come through the red light going the other way. Or else you'd stop, right, at each intersection and wait and look. Is someone going to come? We all live with faith. There's nothing unusual about having faith. And so the results of trusting God here, when God is our helper, we've trusted God, we've made him our helper, what do we get? It says it right there. We get to experience joy. Joyful are those who've made God their helper. Right? And so here's a question, a thought for you to ponder is, have you placed your trust in God? Have you made God your helper? Or is he just somebody out there who you don't, you don't really relate to? And I think even before we can even answer that question, for some of us, we have to answer the next question, which is, who is this God? Who is this God? I'd love to make God my helper, but who is he? What are his characteristics? Well, fortunately, right here in this Psalm 146, he tells us who he is, and we're going to go through those. There's 11 characteristics. I'm going to talk about each one very briefly. Don't worry, we're not taking 10 minutes on each one. We are going to let you get out and get to brunch or whatever you got going on today. We're going to talk about each one. You probably could do a, a teaching, <clears throat> a sermon on each one of those, right? But we won't. We'll just do, go really short. And then with each one, I'm going to give you an example of somebody who I think in the world, somebody who demonstrates that quality that we're looking at. So first, he made the heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them. So you can fill in your blank here. God is creator, Right? The universe is really complex. Anybody who spends any time looking at anything scientific, or even just walks outside and looks at a tree, or has children and looks at their children, knows that the world is really complex. It's very intricate. It speaks of somebody who designed it. And so whoever designed this world really should be praised, right? And so when I say creator, God is creator, what am I thinking of? What are we thinking about? I'm thinking of somebody who fabricates amazing things, Thinking about somebody who creates new worlds even, new realms. They make something where nothing was there before. And that describes God. Now, think about who is a creator, who has created something. Now, I thought about putting a picture of Al Gore up here because we all know he invented the internet. But I thought I'd pass and I'd go kind of down that road here. We got Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs was a digital pioneer. He was the CEO and the founder of Apple. He really did pioneer the digital revolution. I think every single one of us probably here, maybe there's a few exceptions, every single one of us have something, something that he, that we could really attribute back to him. And his biographer said this about him, he said, Steve Jobs was a creative entrepreneur whose passion for perfection and ferocious drive revolutionized six industries, personal computers, animated movies, music, phones, tablet computing, and digital publishing. He helped create a realm where there was no realm before. He was a creator. The so second aspect we're going to talk about here, speaking of God, he keeps every promise forever. And so God is faithful. God is faithful. And really in a society where faithfulness and loyalty is just being devalued on a daily basis, 
one who is faithful is really to be praised, right? We really should say, wow, that faithfulness is really good because we don't see a lot of that around us. And so when I say faithful, what do we think of? Well, I think of someone or something that never leaves you, never forsakes you. Someone who's next to you when your life is really at rock bottom. Someone who holds your hand when you're past hope. Someone who stays with you when others have left. Now, what would be an example of faithfulness? And I really rack my brain on this one, trying to think of somebody. We could all, all of you married people would be like, my spouse, right? But I could have said that, but I thought we'd keep it a little bit lighter here. And I came up with a, a fictional person. And if any of you ever read this book, or maybe have seen the movie, The Notebook. And this guy, Noah Calhoun, he spends his life, he's at the end of his life, I try not to give the story away, but I kind of have to. But he, he basically stays devoted and loving and faithful to his wife who's battling through, I think it's like Alzheimer's or dementia or something like that, right? She's basically gone in the mind, and yet he is invested in her. And he spends time with her daily, and he writes her these letters in the hope that she will respond at some point. And even though everyone is telling him, move on, move on, even his children are saying, Dad, it's time to move on. He won't move on. He's faithful to the very end. So that's an example of faithfulness. Who else is this God? Well, he gives justice to the oppressed and food to the hungry. God is the source of justice. Not only is he just, he's the source of justice. See, I think justice is one of those values that really resonates with everyone. Everyone, all sides of the political and moral and cultural spectrums. We all think, yeah, justice is good. Justice is a good thing. But what is just is going to vary unless there's something or someone who is the source of justice. Now God can give justice because he is that source of justice. A lot of times we think of the, if you think of like the Supreme Court, right? And out front there's that like blindfolded lady and she's holding the scales. It's like, oh, justice is blind and that's the source of justice, right? But that's not the source of justice. And the Supreme Court is not the source of justice. See, I think that our, a lot of us are going, man, what's going on in our, in our government? Why is like justice is changing and morals and rules are changing and people are, well, I really think the reason why, and maybe this will help you some, is as I've processed this, it's helped me kind of come to grips with things that are going on in our culture is that our government was founded on the idea that God is the source of justice. And so if you take God out of that picture and say God is not the source of justice, then you can change justice to be whatever you want it to be. And I think that's what we're experiencing. And I don't say that to be discouraging, just as a way to kind of give us a handle to, to know what is going on as we, as we face justice here. But God is that source. He tells us right here. He gives justice. He is the source. He is the source. And because he knows all, God knows all and he's all powerful. He can judge with absolute purity. Without, uh, without any bias. And he can bring righteousness to bear upon any situation where there's injustice. So who comes to your mind when you think about justice? <clears throat> We're putting these, these pictures up here. Who, who comes to mind? Well, the first person that came to my mind was Gandhi. Mahatma Gandhi, right? 
was a leader in India, and he was very much known for justice. And we know about his role, if you ever saw the movie, right? There was a movie, there's books, there's all kinds of things about Gandhi. And he was, he was always part of independence in India, but he really had dedicated his life to fighting for the cause of the oppressed. He fought for the untouchables there in India. He fought on behalf of, of women and children and so forth. He was really motivated by a passion for justice. The next thing we know about this God from this passage is that he frees the prisoners. God brings true freedom. And you might go, wait a second, aren't prisoners usually in prison because they've committed a crime? And that's, that's generally true. We live and operate in a system of, of, of justice and punishment where usually prisoners are in prison for their crimes. But in many systems around the world, you are deemed guilty until proven innocent. And so there's many who are in prisons unjustly. And so it makes sense in that, in that way, oh yeah, God frees the unjustly imprisoned. But what about those who deserve to be in prison? Does he free them as well? Well, let's step back for a second to think about that into the metaphor of your own spiritual condition. What's going on in your heart? In each one of us, the Bible tells us we're bound up in spiritual prison because of our sins. If you think about your own life and you think about your own sins, you can ask yourself that question. Do I deserve to be set free? I'm not unjustly imprisoned, am I? Romans 3.23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. We get what we deserve. We get the wage that's due to us for what we've done. We deserve to be in that spiritual prison, but God extends us amazing mercy and offers to forgive our sins cleanse us from our sins. And isn't that true freedom? God gives us the opportunity for a prison break from that spiritual prison that we're in. So when I think of prison break, I think of this guy, Alexander Pachersky, a Soviet captain, an army captain in the Soviet army. You go, who? Maybe some of you know who this guy is. Pachersky was a World War II soldier. He was captured during a battle and was interred Um, by the Germans at the Sobibor concentration camp in Poland. Now, there was also a number of of Jews also in that concentration camp. It was a death camp, an extermination camp. On October 14, 1943, this Alex here, he led an uprising. He led a prison break. And he freed over 100 people and saved them from extermination at the hands of the Nazis. He really led what was a righteous prison break of historic proportions. He brought about true freedom for those people. The next thing about this God, he opens the eyes of the blind. God heals us. God heals us. God has the power to open our eyes spiritually. He has the power to allow us to see that spiritual condition. But doesn't he also have the power to heal us physically? You know, modern medicine is really awesome. Some of you will hear me say this. Um, when, when things happen, I go, man, aren't you glad that we live in the 21st century and not the 11th century? Right? When we, things happen to us medically and we can go and get treatment and have surgeries and those things, it's amazing. But isn't God in control of modern medicine? And isn't he greater than all of those things, those miracles he performed, those healings in the New Testament? We can't even mimic those. And so why does God heal the afflicted? 
Why does he heal those who are afflicted? Well, I think that the, the first reason is that he loves whoever's afflicted. He loves each one of us. Any of us who struggle with um, diseases or physical challenges, God loves us and I think he has a desire to heal us. But I think there's a second reason is that he heals people to point others back to him. I've been thinking some recently about James chapter 5. And in James chapter 5 it says you should pray for healing. Well, when you really look at the context of that passage, it's really in the context of the gospel that others might hear the good news and believe the good news. And so when we think of amazing healing, who comes to mind? Well, probably your doctor, right? Anyone who's helped you. So I want to put up a famous doctor here. Dr. Ben Carson is a neurosurgeon. You may recognize him. He's sort of become a political figure. We're not talking about politics today. But before he was in politics, he was a pediatric neurosurgeon. He rose um, from his beginnings as a a child with a, a single mom in poverty, living in poverty in Detroit. And he became the leading surgeon at John Hopkins in neurosurgery. And he went on to perform the very first procedure to surgically separate Twins who were conjoined at the head. So there's an amazing power, amazing healing, amazing gift right there. And yet God is even greater than that, right? Who is this God? The Lord lifts up those who are weighed down. God carries our burdens. Now, I grew up at a church in Colorado Springs and... um, you know, at our church here, we've got this cross on the wall, but uh, that church was a little different. The ceiling was quite a bit higher. And on the back wall, it was all river rock cobblestone. And sort of kind of hidden, but not really hidden, but sometimes it took you a while to see it, was a picture of in the cobblestones of Jesus holding out his hands. And written on the wood beams across the top was this verse. It was Matthew eleven twenty eight, And it says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And I always think of that probably because I stared at that on so many Sundays growing up, but God is there to carry our burdens. He carries our trials. He'll hold our cares if we let him. So think of your cares as weights, and as God lifts them up, he lifts you up as well. And I think God doesn't just ease the load and make it easier. He helps give us hope and, and direction for life in the midst of carrying burdens. And, and I know there's a number of you out here who are carrying heavy burdens and yet God has helped to give you direction and hope and purpose. And I'm so encouraged at seeing God do that. So when you think about someone reaching down and helping people carry loads, helping the downtrodden, who do you think of? Well, I thought of these folks, the Booths. William and Catherine Booth, they were missionaries. And in 1865, they started an organization that we all know as the Salvation Army. And their mission was to help the poor and the needy, both physically and spiritually. Their motto was a, uh, what was it, a heart to God and a hand to man. And today they're at work in over 120 countries, and they have impacted in the course of the history of the Salvation Army, what's estimated to be millions of people helping people carry their burdens. 
The Lord loves the godly. This is the next thing we could say about who is this God? God affirms our faith. Are any of you here in sales? I know some of you are. Sales. Sales people. You know, there's a tendency, not every sales industry is like this, but many industries, the tendency is to go after more sales. Once you make a sale, you go after more. You don't take care of the ones who sort of signed on with you. You're always trying to get more and always trying to get more. And this can lead to forgetting your customers, right? Forgetting the ones who have already agreed to what you're selling, right? Or we can even think about Facebook, right? There's this tendency to keep adding friends and adding friends and adding, I want to have 2,000 friends or whatever it is you have. But you don't even connect with the ones you've got, right? And yet God's not like that. Not, not our God. He says that he loves the godly. He loves the one who's come to him. He doesn't sign us up and then let us go. He doesn't chase lost sheep and forget about the ones who are already found. I think the promise for us here is that when God rescues us, he stays with us. He doesn't abandon us after that. And that is the gospel. He saves us into eternal life eventually. But he saves us into an abundant life now. And he stays at our side through it. And that's the affirmation of our, of our faith in God. And so, as I was trying to think of who loves the godly. Well, a lot of people, I love the godly. But I wasn't going to put my picture up there. I thought, well, we'll put this guy. Pope John Paul II. He's a church leader, right? We're probably familiar with him. During his life, he was the leader of the largest denomination of Christians. And he demonstrated a deep care for the people, not only of that denomination, but care for people of other denominations. They care for people who weren't even Christians all over the world. He's a good example of someone who loved the godly. The next thing here, the Lord protects foreigners, protects the foreigners among us. God provides us security. You know, there's a lot of talk these days about illegal aliens, right? And have you ever stopped to consider what the challenges are of being a foreigner who lives in a new country? At Leo, you could probably tell us about that, right? Or the Ned, you've been there. I know the Irwins have as well, too, right? There's challenges. You've got usually a different language. You've got different customs. You have an unfamiliar culture. You have an uncertainty in, in making Faux pas and things that you say. I know Ned would have some great stories about his time in the Netherlands about different things they, they said and did. You can ask him about that sometime. Um, but I think even more concerning than making a, a cultural blunder are there laws. Other countries, every country has different laws. And so if you're in a new country, what happens when you run afoul of those laws? You could have your whole life be jeopardized. You could be thrown to jail, going to jail. You could be thrown out of the country. You don't have a security there. And see, I think there's a parallel here to what each of us go through as we follow God. And we see that more and more this world that we live in is against us. And I don't know about you, but I feel each day more and more like I'm a foreigner here. And there's a tremendous uncertainty and a tremendous insecurity. And yet this tells us right here that God provides us security. So thinking about security, who provides security? Who's the best security? If I was going to have somebody protect me and my family, who would I pick? The U.S. Secret Service. Right? So the best. These guys are really good at what they do. They provide the ultimate security for the most important individuals, not only of our government, but of people who come to visit. They protect those other leaders. This is who I'd protect. 
pick on this earth to protect me, to give me and my family security. The ninth thing here, cruising along, he cares for the orphans and the widows. God protects our vulnerabilities. We can all agree that the family is really one basic element, one basic unit of society, and it gives stability to each of us. When we think about what makes us stable, it's our families in a lot of ways. And so anyone who must live in a broken or a dismantled family is living with a special kind of vulnerability. That's why it mentions orphans and widows and continues to mention that throughout the Bible. And God protects the most vulnerable among us. They are to fall on him in their exposure and fall on him in their weakness. But can we not by extension apply that to each one of us as well? Think of your life. Where are you vulnerable Maybe you have a specific weakness. Maybe you have challenges or disabilities or fallout from tough times when you were young that that make you susceptible to having challenge, that just make you vulnerable. I think each one of us has a vulnerability. Maybe some of us have several vulnerabilities. So in, in some way, then, each one of us is a widow. Each one of us is an orphan. The Apostle Paul even talked about this. He called it the thorn in his side. He was saying, I'm vulnerable I am vulnerable, and yet God protects vulnerable people. And so if he protects those who are by nature vulnerable, by extension, doesn't he protect each one of us and our vulnerabilities? So when I think of protecting the vulnerable, who do I think of? You probably would think of this person too, Mother Teresa, missionary to Calcutta in India, right? She spent the majority of her life starting, working in, and building an organization dedicated to helping impoverished people in the world, including widows and orphans and the terminally ill. Who is this God? He frustrates the plans of the wicked. God foils evil. God foils evil. Now you go, hold on. Evil still exists. Bad things happen. God must not really do that. Right? We still see bad things happening every day. Don't you watch the news, Greg? And I would say, yes, evil exists, and that's a whole another teaching we could do another time to talk about the existence of evil. But I really believe this is true. God intervenes. God keeps chaos at bay in our world. You know, every time, I don't care what it is, pick an example, I hear about a man-made tragedy, and I read about it, I hear about it, inevitably I think, that could have been so much worse. Why wasn't it worse? Well, I think God is faithful. He intervened and frustrated the plans of the wicked. And so when I think of the plans of the wicked being thwarted, the first thing that comes to mind is this guy, Todd Beamer. He's a hero. Most of us know he was a passenger on United Flight 93 on September 11th of 2001. I usually get kind of choked up when I read this, but I'm going to read this account to you. According to the accounts of cell phone conversations... Beamer, along with other passengers in the flight crew, ultimately decided to storm the cockpit and take over the plane. Beamer indicated that the group was planning to jump on the hijackers and fly the plane into the ground before the hijackers' plan could be followed through. Beamer recited the Lord's Prayer and the 23rd Psalm, prompting others to join in. Beamer requested of the phone operator, he said, If I don't make it, please call my family and let them know how much I love them. After this, she heard Beamer clearly say, 
to his other passengers, fellow passengers. Are you ready? Okay, let's roll. Those were Beamer's last words. Flight 93 crashed into an empty field, killing all aboard, but it spared the lives of many in Washington, D.C. Todd Beamer, along with the others on that plane, was a man who did just what God says he does. Frustrates the plans of the wicked. We are to the last characteristic of God. Who is this God? The Lord will reign forever. God is always in control. Wait, is he still in control? Yep. He's still, wait, still? Yep, he's still in control. Well, what does it mean to reign, right? The Lord will reign. What does reigning mean? Well, I had to look it up. It means simply to hold royal office. So this verse really tells us God will always hold royal office. So when I think of royalty, I think of this lady. That is a bright hat. And so you got these folks there in in Britain, Queen Elizabeth, and folks who came before her and the folks who came after her, and they hold royal office. And they seem like decent enough folks, or should I say chaps. But do they really do much? Not really. But they will keep this office for a long time, I'm sure, passing it from person to person on down through their children. But God is not a figurehead like these people. Amen? God will never be off of the throne. He will never tire of it. And he will never give up. It lasts forever. And isn't there a peace in knowing that this God will always be in control? Yep, he's still in control, just like he was a moment ago. He's never getting out of that royal office. And so here's a picture of all those folks. It's a good group of people there. What a great crowd. But what does this psalm tell us about these people? Verses 3 and 4. Don't put your confidence in powerful people. There is no help for you there. When they breathe their last, they return to the earth. And all their plans die with them. All of these wonderful and special and powerful people, they amount to nothing. Nothing in comparison to God. God is better at each one of those things. All 11 of those aspects. God is better than each one of those. But see, he's not just God. He's not just the creator, the infinite God, the all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving one. He's just out there somewhere. Who is he? He's this guy. Jesus Christ. And see, Jesus is personal. Jesus is not distant or unknown or big brother sitting out there looking over our shoulder. Jesus weeps with us. Jesus laughs with us. Jesus is a friend unlike any other. And Jesus is one person. He's not a crowd of people, right? If you took all those great people and all the other ones you could probably think of and you could be friends with all of them, it'd be like the best social network in the world, right? You put all of them together, they would still fail you. Why? Because they're imperfect, fallible, biased, sinful. Just like you and me. Jesus, however, is not. Jesus is better at all of those things. And he's perfect and he's personal. 
And so what's the application? What's our application here of Psalm 146? Well, chances are, right now, today, you need Jesus to come alongside you in one of these areas. I bet for every single one of us, I know it is true for me, every single one of these areas, there's at least one of them where you go, man, I do really need Jesus to be with me in that. Whether it's the creation or faithfulness, justice, freedom, healing, carrying your burdens, recognizing your faith, providing spiritual security, protecting your vulnerability, foiling the plans of the wicked, God being in control. And God can meet you in that today. Amen? And yet it's better than that. Like that's not even the best part. The best part is he can meet you in that today and yet as you go on through life you're going to experience all these other things as well. And God will meet you in those things as well. The one person. Jesus Christ is the helper worth putting your trust in. That's what it says there. The heart of this psalm. He's the helper worth putting our trust in. Let's pray. And God, I thank you that you've revealed yourself and characteristics of you right here in scripture, right in this short 10 verses, this one psalm. I thank you that you speak to us through the word. And God, I, I know each one of us here need to this morning just call out to you and say, Jesus, would you join me? Would you be my helper in this area, in this challenge, in this trial, in this need that I have? God, we know it says right here, you will meet us. God, maybe there's some here even today who haven't fully invited you into their life. God, I pray you'd be moving on those hearts as well. God, that... uh, You can come in. All we have to do is say, Jesus, I I surrender my life to you. I accept the free gift of forgiveness of sins that you offer through your death on the cross, your resurrection. I ask you to come into my life and be my Lord and my Savior. And God, we, in the midst of this, knowing that you come alongside us and you help us, we can, as this psalm says, we can say, praise the Lord. We praise you. Hallelujah. Thank you for being our God. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.